Book Four, Chapters Eleven and Twelve of Joseph Andrews. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Dennis Sayers. Joseph Andrews, by Henry Fielding. Book Four, Chapter Eleven, in which the history is continued. Joseph Andrews had borne with great uneasiness the impertinence of Beau Didapper to Fanny, who had been talking pretty freely to her, and offering her settlements, but the respect to the company had restrained him from interfering, whilst the Beau confined himself to the use of his tongue only. But the said Beau, watching an opportunity whilst the lady's eyes were disposed another way, offered a rudeness to her with his hands, which Joseph no sooner perceived than he presented him with so sound a box on the ear that it conveyed him several paces from where he stood. The ladies immediately screamed out, rose from their chairs, and the beau, as soon as he recovered himself, drew his hanger, which, Adams observing, snatched up the lid of a pot in his left hand, and covering himself with it, as with a shield, without any weapon of offence in his other hand, stepped in before Joseph, and exposed himself to the enraged bow, who threatened such perdition and destruction that it frighted the women, who were all got in a huddle together, out of their wits, even to hear his denunciations of vengeance. Joseph was of a different complexion, and begged Adams to let his rival come on, for he had a good cudgel in his hand, and did not fear him. Fanny now fainted into Mrs. Adams' arms, and the whole room was in confusion, when Mr. Booby, passing by Adams, who lay snug under the pot-lid, came up to Didapper, and insisted on his sheathing the hanger, promising he should have satisfaction which Joseph declared he would give him, and fight him at any weapon whatever. The bow now sheathed his hanger, and taking out a pocket-glass, and vowing vengeance all the time, readjusted his hair. The parson deposited his shield, and Joseph, running to Fanny, soon brought her back to life. Lady Booby chid Joseph for his insult on Didapper but he answered he would have attacked an army in the same cause. "'What cause?' said the lady. "'Madam,' answered Joseph, "'he was rude to that young woman.' "'What?' says the lady. "'I suppose he would have kissed the wench, "'and is a gentleman to be struck for such an offer? "'I must tell you, Joseph, "'these airs do not become you. "'Madam,' said Mr. Booby, "'I saw the whole affair, "'and I do not commend my brother, "'for I cannot perceive why he should take upon him "'to be this girl's champion.' "'I can commend him,' says Adams. "'He is a brave lad, "'and it becomes any man to be the champion of the innocent, "'and he must be the basest coward 
who would not vindicate a woman with whom he is on the brink of marriage. Sir, says Mr. Booby, my brother is not a proper match for such a woman as this. No, says Lady Booby, nor do you, Mr. Adams, act in your proper character by encouraging any such doings, and I am very much surprised you should concern yourself in it. I think your wife and family your properer care. Indeed, madam, your ladyship says very true, answered Mrs. Adams. He talks a pack of nonsense, that the whole parish are his children. I am sure I don't understand what he means by it. It would make some women suspect he had gone astray, but I acquit him of that. I can read scripture as well as he, and I never found that the parson was obliged to provide for other folks' children. And besides, he is but a poor curate, and hath little enough, as your ladyship knows, for me and mine. You say very well, Mrs. Adams, quoth the Lady Booby, who had not spoke a word to her before. You seem to be a very sensible woman, and I assure you, your husband is acting a very foolish part, and opposing his own interest, seeing my nephew is violently set against this match. And indeed I can't blame him. It is by no means one suitable to our family. In this manner the lady proceeded with Mrs. Adams, whilst the beau hopped about the room, shaking his head, partly from pain and partly from anger and Pamela was chiding Fanny for her assurance in aiming at such a match as her brother. Poor Fanny answered only with her tears, which had long since begun to wet her handkerchief, which Joseph, perceiving, took her by the arm, and, wrapping it in his, carried her off, swearing he would own no relation to any one who was an enemy to her he loved, more than all the world. He went out with Fanny under his arm, brandishing a cudgel in his right, and neither Mr. Booby nor the beau thought proper to oppose him. Lady Booby and her company made a very short stay behind him, for the lady's bell now summoned them to dress, for which they had just time before dinner. Adams seemed now very much dejected, which his wife, perceiving, began to apply some matrimonial balsam. She told him he had no reason to be concerned, for that he had probably ruined his family with his tricks almost. But perhaps he was grieved for the loss of his two children, Joseph and Fanny. His eldest daughter went on, Indeed, father, it is very hard to bring strangers here to eat your children's bread out of their mouths. You have kept them ever since they came home, and for anything I see to the contrary, may keep them a month longer. Are you obliged to give her meat, though she was never so handsome? But I don't see she is so much handsomer than other people. If people were to be kept for their beauty, she would scarce fare better than her neighbours, I believe. As for Mr. Joseph, I have nothing to say. He is a young man of honest principles, 
and will pay some time or other for what he hath. But for the girl, why doth she not return to her place she ran away from? I would not give such a vagabond slut a halfpenny, though I had a million of money. No, though she was starving. Indeed, but I would, cries little Dick, and father, rather than poor Fanny shall be starved, I will give her all this bread and cheese, offering what he held in his hand. Adam smiled on the boy, and told him he rejoiced to see he was a Christian, and that if he had a halfpenny in his pocket, he would have given it him, telling him it was his duty to look upon all his neighbors as his brothers and sisters, and love them accordingly. Yes, Papa, says he, I love her better than my sisters, for she is handsomer than any of them. Is she so, sauce-box? says the sister, giving him a box on the ear, which the father would probably have resented, had not Joseph, Fanny, and the peddler at that instant returned together. Adams bid his wife prepare some food for their dinner. She said, truly, she could not. She had something else to do. Adams rebuked her for disputing his commands, and quoted many texts of scripture to prove that the husband is the head of the wife, and she is to submit and obey. The wife answered, It was blasphemy to talk scripture out of church, that such things were very proper to be said in the pulpit, but that it was profane to talk them in common discourse. Joseph told Mr. Adams he was not come with any design to give him or Mrs. Adams any trouble but to desire the favour of all their company, to the George, an alehouse in the parish, where he had bespoke a piece of bacon and greens for their dinner. Mrs. Adams, who was a very good sort of woman, only rather strict in economies, readily accepted this invitation, as did the parson himself by her example, and away they all walked together not omitting little Dick, to whom Joseph gave a shilling, when he heard of his intended liberality to Fanny. CHAPTER Twelve, Where the good-natured reader will see something which will give him no great pleasure. The peddler had been very inquisitive, from the time he had first heard that the great house in this parish belonged to the Lady Booby, and had learnt that she was the widow of Sir Thomas, and that Sir Thomas had bought Fanny, at about the age of three or four years, of a travelling woman. And now their homely but hearty meal was ended. He told Fanny he believed he could acquaint her with her parents. The whole company, especially she herself, started at this offer of the peddlers. He then proceeded thus, while they all lent their strictest attention. Though I am now contented with this humble way of getting my livelihood, I was formerly a gentleman, for so all those of my profession are called. In a word, I was a drummer in an Irish regiment of foot. Whilst I was in this honourable station, 
I attended an officer of our regiment into England, a recruiting. In our march from Bristol to Froome, for since the decay of the woolen trade, the clothing towns have furnished the army with a great number of recruits, we overtook on the road a woman, who seemed to be about thirty years old or thereabouts, not very handsome, but well enough for a soldier. As we came up to her, she mended her pace, and falling into discourse with our ladies, for every man of the party, namely a sergeant, two private men, and a drum, were provided with their woman, except myself. She continued to travel on with us. I, perceiving she must fall to my lot, advanced presently to her, made love to her in our military way, and quickly succeeded to my wishes. We struck a bargain within a mile, and lived together as man and wife to her dying day. I suppose, says Adams, interrupting him, you were married with a license, for I don't see how you could contrive to have the bands published while you were marching from place to place. No, sir, said the peddler, we took a license to go to bed together, without any bands. Ay, ay, said the parson, ex necessitate, a license may be allowable enough, but surely, surely the other is the more regular and eligible way. The peddler proceeded thus. She returned with me to our regiment, and removed with us from quarters to quarters, till at last, whilst we lay at Galloway, she fell ill of a fever, and died. When she was on her deathbed, she called me to her, and, crying bitterly, declared she could not depart this world without discovering a secret to me, which, she said, was the only sin which sat heavy on her heart. She said she had formerly travelled in a company of gypsies, who had made a practice of stealing away children, that for her own part she had been only once guilty of the crime, which, she said, she lamented more than all the rest of her sins, since, probably, it might have occasioned the death of the parents, for, added she, it is almost impossible to describe the beauty of the young creature which was about a year and a half old when I kidnapped it. We kept her, for she was a girl, above two years in our company, when I sold her myself for three guineas to Sir Thomas Booby in Somersetshire. Now you know whether there are any more of that name in this county. Yes, says Adams, there are several boobies who are squires, but I believe no baronet now alive. Besides, it answers so exactly in every point, there is no room for doubt. But you have forgot to tell us the parents from whom the child was stolen. Their name, answered the peddler, was Andrews. They lived about thirty miles from the squire, and she told me that I might be sure to find them out by one circumstance, for that they had a daughter of a very strange name, Pamela, or Pamela, some pronounced it one way and some the other. 
Fanny, who had changed color at the first mention of the name, now fainted away. Joseph turned pale, and poor Dicky began to roar. The parson fell on his knees, and ejaculated many thanksgivings that this discovery had been made before the dreadful sin of incest was committed, and the peddler was struck with amazement, not being able to account for all this confusion, the cause of which was presently opened by the parson's daughter, who was the only unconcerned person, for the mother was chafing Fanny's temples, and taking the utmost care of her, and indeed Fanny was the only creature whom the daughter would not have pitied in her situation, wherein, though we compassionate her ourselves, we shall leave her for a little while, and pay a short visit to Lady Booby. End of Book 4, Chapters 11 and 12, read by Dennis Sayers in Modesto, California, for LibriVox.